Promise No Promises The Tale and the Tongue Episode 2 Expertise is the New Genius The podcast Promise No Promises unfolds a further chapter The Tale and the Tongue This series of new episodes arises from conversations between curator and writer Sonia Fernandez-Pan and guests from different storytelling practices and world-making experiences. For a conversation to take place, it is sufficient when two people start talking to each other. However, conversations are never happening just between two people. A conversation holds many bodies, places, stories and experiences. It develops languages and creates interpersonal and temporary dialects. Sharing is also a way of collecting seemingly individual circumstances. Our bodies host many narratives, speaking borrowed words and making stories an important part of who we become. Stories travel between bodies, welling in them, always in motion, they have no end. Words make worlds in which reality and its fictions travel through the tongue to become tales. Expertise is the New Genius is the second episode that follows a conversation with theorist, DJ and composer Justina Stajowska. After completing her degree in drama and theater studies, Justina Stajowska is a PhD student at the Performance Studies Department at the Jagiellonian University in Krakow. In addition to her theoretical work, contributing to diverse media on theater and contemporary music, She also collaborates as sound designer with various choreographers. Sometimes conversations between people may start before they even meet to talk. That happened to me with Justina Stajowska, thanks to Anja Novak, an artist with whom we both collaborate, spend time and think with. During my messy conversations with Anja, Justina's voice intermittently appeared in recent years, especially when sharing reflections on musical narratives that go beyond sound and are part of the larger cultural narratives that we continually interact with. The elusive notion of narrative was very much present in the previous exchange of emails and messages with Justina while preparing our conversation. The title of this podcast, Expertise is the New Genius, is not only a phrase I borrowed from Justina herself, but also a tribute to inside jokes we share with each other in relation to music theory and music merchandising. As a subversive form of intelligence, sense of humor and jokes produce cracks in the common logic of language. Moreover, they show that logics of language can be otherwise, not just normative. When thinking about music merchandise and the kind of short phrases on t-shirts, they are not only an expression of larger narratives of music contexts, but sometimes carry, in both literal and bodily ways, more elaborate messages than those of many music critics. With Expertise as a New Genius, Justina encapsulates in a few words a cultural narrative strongly rooted in contemporary music. This narrative gives special relevance to the mastery of technology by musicians who know their own instruments like no one else does after years of difficult and painstaking never-ending learning. Learning can never be completed to keep feeding this narrative of expertise that, at the same time, offers resistance to being fully achieved. Moreover, the notion of expertise also resonates with a monogamous relationship to sound in which each musician is the connoisseur, protector and keeper of a very specific type of music that distinguishes them from each other. The cultural logic of specialized expertise means that, by contrast, a preference for eclecticism is perceived as not very serious, as recreation or as a weak commitment to musical learning. 
Binarisms in most Western cultural narratives are not only problematic because they reduce reality to a force field between two opposing poles, but are also troubling because of the understanding of these relationships in terms of hierarchy, inequality and competition. There are further narratives arising from the patriarchal gaze that are assumed as norm in the field of music. Not only logics of progress and development, of improvement and advancement are part of the history of sound. Also the popular use of military concepts applied to the context of sound is very common, especially in the descriptions of albums, songs or concerts. The genealogy of this language goes unnoticed, turning the musician into a sonic warrior. Robin James, an author who appears within the exchange and conversations with Justina, speaks of sonic patriarchy in order to refer to the male gaze in the music context, using a very brief statement to define it. Strong is the new sexy. In a much more sophisticated way, noise is an element that links the history of music to the patriarchal gaze through loudness and the immense value placed on power and stamina in music production. This is something that Tara Rogers also discussed in Pink Noise, referring to noise and silence as two conceptual and ideological landmarks in history of contemporary Western music. In her sophisticated perception of language, Justina's definition of noise is not so much about sound as sonic matter per se, but about contextual perception and possible shifts in meaning. This conversation with Justina Stasiowska took place at the end of May 2021. Justina was in Warsaw, her current place of residence and work, and I was in Berlin, where we had the opportunity to be introduced to each other some years ago. Talking with her about how theory is made through sound was one of the many questions I prepared for our conversation, as well as the performativity of sound perception through noise, the hyper-real sounds and fake soundscapes she produces and researches, or even Russian cosmism. We soon deviated from the script, with other issues being staged together. Justina, who has a very intimate relationship with language and who is very attentive to the normalization and dissemination of the use of words and concepts, pointed out how genealogies and common practices of words and concepts also come into play when it comes to self-definition habits. When we present ourselves professionally in a certain way, we are not only trying to define ourselves, but we include ourselves within narratives and communities with which we want to be identified and unwittingly compared to. As Justina remarks, making use of one specific term or another also happens for practical and strategic reasons. A composer is paid more than a DJ because her work is closer to common ideas of authorship and novelty. Our conversation began with the relationship between sound and theater, questioning the priority of the eye in what happens on stage and in the stalls, and ended by talking about a different kind of relationship to language through dyslexia and its resistance to normative learning sequences. Many other things came in between, including the desire to listen to music producers speak of intuition and the pleasures of the still unidentified. The interesting part about theater is that is a apparatus to working on a vision, but I would say specifically from like 19th century. So like the framing, the staging, like this elements, the frame of the stage that creates you a picture than a landscape. But at the same time, when I was reading about ancient Greek theater, There were like few things that are really interesting. One was this element of a mask that you had this sort of part mouthpiece 
that basically was used for amplification, so it had a little metal in it. And the scope and the size of a theater was basically against seeing, because you could be at the last seatings and don't really see the actors. So the basic thing was the acoustics and uh, listening. And I think like at this point, it sort of changed into the vision apparatus, but at the same time, I think in Michel Serra's work, he was like focusing on listening in an amphitheater and thinking how it always amplifies every movement and creates this noisy presence. And you have to really go into it and try to find the quiet by holding still. Theater is this mindset that you can put on sound and music. And the interesting part for me was also in the work of Marianne Amsher. She did her works basing on uh, ear response, the tones that your ears make when you receive signal and creating different musical patterns. But in her writing, she used elements of theater, like a scene or like dramatics of the sound. And I started to think with those terms, how to have a dramatic situation. My basic education is on dramatology. So drama is this movement. And also the thing that I was learning throughout the years was to read plays which were treated not as instructions for the staging, but this really intense interface between the audience and the imagined theater. So you would like sometimes get like in Elfriede Jelinek works, a pure text that you don't have any characters or anything. And your action was to perceive and imagine a situation. That's why I'm like thinking how sometimes the sounds can be those signs or like a language, especially within, I would say, a cinema experience and perception that give you information about the situation. Going through with it, you can create those experience of sound where you're like between information and between sensing, actually this two-part element of affective and also informative. always ask what would be the perfect conditions for me to work in and I said like there doesn't really exist one and the thing is that the condition that you are giving are the most interesting thing that you can work with. I just find it useless to make something that it tries to cancel out the conditions because for me even when I try to stay specific sounding, try to emulate a Catholic church sound in a spectacle, and I call it staging specific existing space, it is for this specific reason that it evokes a body experience, where you can know something just can bring you a space in this listening experience. Marianne Amsher, because she had this installation, she used the whole house, but when she put all the sounds in, staged them just using the structure and also the structure to amplify the sound. So it was always like transmissive use of the structure and the structure bore sound. And it was so loud that people were like fatigued after listening to it or like moving inside of it. 
she always used high-pitched sounds. I heard that Merce Cunningham at some point in his life couldn't really hear part of the, her composition because in the spectrum that was so high that you have this chip of not hearing when you're like around 60s. I had two spaces that I actually love and they were really hard to work with. One was in front in this museum in Warsaw, Ujazdowski Castle, and the castle is just next to a fast road. So you constantly hear the cars and there was this little square of a park. So basically a little bit of green in front of this amazing uh, massive castle just next to a highway that you always could see the rumbling of the noisy tones. So I did this installation using Hanna-Barbera sounds, cartoon sounds, because when I went there, I felt that if I try to do long phrases or like constant ambient sound, it will just like dry in or like be really tiring to listen because it would melt with all the constant sounds so I just tried to find sound that would be just like little points or like needles that will pitch in basically it was this four speakers in trees that you couldn't see the speakers in but had this sound from uh, cartoons going around uh, and appearing I was standing there and watching a guy who was jogging and then my sound went like I just love the fact that having to adapt to complex sonic situation and as well like specific place I had so many restrictions that made me move into different direction with the sound Those artists that present themselves really serious and take on really synthesized and serious sounds are now the mainstream and nobody really remembers how like the boredoms and Hana Tarashi basically had like those silly records with weird sounds and they were mostly like Dada approach to all the noise making and as well people like us, one of my favorite artists that basically is really a genius with the cut-ups but she's not even a second series is really a different approach to experimental than those things that make you have to sit in and just like think three hours before recognizing the genius of a tonal structure that you have been sitting in I think like with the suffering, there is this thing of if you don't understand the experimental, you just like have to wait and then read and have the meaning, like a Jesus coming. That suddenly you would recognize after reading five description what genius piece that you had to experience. I would also like add this strong movement of psychoanalysis that influence theater and basically even when you got into affective dimension you always connect it with the character and you have to really dive into it and then it's always exist in this matrix of categorization that you have to name it and it has to somehow have a logical source that will be explainable. I would say the thing about the patriarchal gaze is that it's not even only connected with logic, but specific kind of logical thinking and knowledge. This strong, accumulative, distinctive direction of creating a discipline that would explain the whole world is this creating of patriarchy. Within that establish a canonic rule and within that rule you have to get into it. 
And I remember like a uh, text of Pierre Bourdieu when he wrote that within the academia, you have to reproduce basically 60% of your predecessors and give like 40% of something new. If you just like have something too different, you will have to like do a revolution within the sciences. And I think like the whole structuring and sort of like as well hierarchy and the development of time and progress, I would say this would be the gaze that influences that I would call the patriarchy. I think it connects with Robin James' notion of progress, strength. studied theater I didn't really have any sort of subjects about sound specifically or like uh, music and basically it always ended up in having one course that was just about classical music there was such a strict division or even omitment of sound design within theater and only the function of like genius composer that would put on the right tune was acknowledged in a way but it wasn't even like recognized in the sense that it specifically does something i had like the situation when i started to analyze a spectacle that was just using mostly rock tunes punk specific songs that had its history and i did like a reading of a spectacle through it and my teacher said it's just like a logic reading so it was like too low for reading within the theater. Few years later, another scholar did a structural reading of using a specific song for a specific scene that basically opened up this thinking that you don't only reach out to popular music just to have a nice tune, but you reach out to specific stories that come from the artist, from the situation that it was played, and from the lyrics, so it was just started to be more recognized. And I think I was interested in sound because it was never really explained why aren't researchers, why aren't theater people more listening into what happens on a stage in terms of movement, sounds, using a specific voicing and like specific sound design techniques. There is this spectacles that I enjoyed that had this more, I wouldn't say advanced, but nuanced approach to sound because they weren't just like playing music to a scene or like playing music between the scenes just to fill them up. And it was like Heiner Müller's work when he had this scene of like opera singer. So there was like on the stage an actress that was sing opera but in the middle of the scene we see the choking actress and recognize that it was a playback that she was singing this sort of collapse between played sound and like moving bodies was something that was interesting to develop and starting to think how there can be relations and interactions between what is like a visual body and what is like a visual situation with what you hear and what is like the amplification what can be basically put on as this weird effect of you might try to think it's live life and performed by live body but actually isn't so there's this whole structure of thinking about how to produce this kind of fakeness that has the allurement of being alive but then shows off that even in this here and now life situation of theater that exists there is this trickery
this is really a strong thing that made me work within the theater and also like a lot of hate about how music exists within the theater. That is just to have a dynamic scene and rhythm scene and using just music for that or just using music for emotional blackmailing. So knowing that, oh, this is like serious scene, we have to play violins or something. And even with the dance, I still have like those things that I actually hate. Like when you have dancers and they use rhythmic structures. So when you decide to have the rhythmic structures and do the movement that basically the accent is that they put the moving accent on the rhythm. I don't really feel the sense of if you have a moving body within the rhythm, why use the body just to show that it matches the rhythm. You can have a four on four and just have the movement on two and sort of like do a relation. So um, don't have the same thing on the visual, uh, somatic level and sonic level. I did a few months ago this piece when I just used this noise accents that never go with the beginning of the phrase but use different moments and it in a weird way it sounds like it's not even matching the rhythmic structure of movement but it sort of like puts the accents or like appears after the movement just to expand the movement and really leave a space of moving body because the moving body has this as well musical ability because you can also like perceive music visually and seeing that when you move you can uh, see the rhythm even if you don't hear like a uh, tapping so why having these two inputs of visual and sound why do exactly the same on the same levels this is the most thing i hate about fear and try to run away from it. Every person that is identifying female has this experience or anecdote of this glitch moment. Because I remember when I was this museum in exhibition and basically a guy who was louder than me with his equipment wasn't even like addressed by the technicians, but I was constantly addressed because uh, they were afraid that I'll uh, blow up the speakers. And I was constantly reminded how expensive were the speakers that my sound are supposed to blow up. What I would call the male discourse within electronic music. The notion of creativity isn't so perfect to present as the notion of expertise. I think like the expertise is new genius. And basically you always have those videos of people how to use like Ableton or like synthesizer and that you have to put on those things and I don't know it is this showing of the backstage of musical production that creates I would say virtuosity within a musical playing so it highlights how much you've been working I don't know like it's always the narration of since childhood I have been playing with electronic lamps then I moved to synthesizers then I built my own synthesizer now I know everything about that and there is like this element how to make it art not just geekery and be in modular synthesizer scene of let's just play around with synthesizer but it still needs to be this engineer competent element of I am the expertise of the equipment that I use. Mm -hmm. 
I remember talking with a friend uh, from the label Navia that I released on that we were tired with this expertise notion of even as a DJ, like you have to be expert on house, you have to be expert on techno, like you cannot even jump off from different styles, but you have to be between librarian or like a technical expert of using equipment. And there isn't like really highlighting skills of creative uh, connecting, like moving around different genres. Eclectism isn't never valued and as well and you have to always like explain and even put on a CV of what makes you the perfect DJ. To always have the backstory of like, I've been in the club uh, since 90s, so I know everything about that music. and Or I have a library of that. I'm just like waiting for DJs and people saying, I don't know what I've done, but it sounds good. You can really know everything about the work, but in the end, it's always like the effect of the audience. Even the expertise element is a selling point now. Just like you feel really good that you are, your ears are trusted with this amazing sound engineer of a person. sense of uh, development of a DJ that basically wasn't so important but a space was more important I remember like the reading about DJ culture that you have this radio DJ that wasn't really a star it was someone that uh, connected element and entertained people so it wasn't about what's the knowledge and presentation then within different clubs it was mostly the prestige of a space creating this like communal feeling that you know you are like safe within and will listen to good music and don't really need to know what kind of music so it was like specific social space function and then i think within germany the strong movement of dj as a star we are still suffering from that that you have refocus on like dj even with identity politics representation it connects this sort of frontal character that got frontal at some point in the clubs but is a well promotional tool rather than promotional tool of a club and still even if the club uses itself as a space that welcomes stuff it still uses this after effect of a genre genre of expertise of knowing what you will be experiencing is you will know you get a techno from going to a specific club the clubs are consciously overconsciously presenting itself as just that if someone would maybe sometimes ask about if the techno that we are listening now is the same techno that was in the 90s are we supposed to call it when we show there is like a shifting, like maybe the rhythm stayed the same in a way, but it really changed. I'm also wondering when you have the societies that do basically recreation of historical attires, when you have, oh, let's just do Edwardian style silhouettes and do a picnic. It just sometimes feels like that when you have people going the uh, rave, saying, oh, we're doing now a rave. It feels like this cover uh, research recreation society.
what aspect of a persona you want to present within the club to basically interact but it's for me comes down to dancing with the rhythm you can choose if you want to dance and connect with the bass or rhythmic structure or go against and this is your personal choices that you have to make so i would say the following of the rules makes you feel like you don't really need to do those choices and they're really on a personal level and they can be this building up of individual there is a still in a club even if all people just like celebrate communities of like going to a club sometimes it's just communities of unified movement and appearance that you chose to be and as well feel that sort of explains your presence within a space there exists within dance culture lots of structuring that are explaining that someone has a place within club scene and just becomes more and more restricted especially when it's highlighted framed as a boiler room or a specific dance event and creates these modes of representation that should be enabling people to come in and feel free to themselves but they just being visual or being specifically genre-like they close off within anything that's different I just had in Krakow this experience of going to a club and not it being specifically or like exquisite genre-like club and just people that are from different scenes or like art scenes or aren't really a club-going people just want to dance to music. So it was more trashy and people didn't feel they have to fit in to be. And there exists, especially now, now and especially within the festivals this experience of creating the even exquisite audiophilic experience that are i would say based on the notion that you get the best music and best genre like and as well curated experience that you can dive into In some ways it is good because you can experiment with different identities within that and use a persona style of every evening that you said. We don't really need to feel tied to one specific persona. But at the same time, the bad thing about this is like the gatekeeping of this entrance level to those experiences. It's like when you treat the identity as something that is stable, it becomes guarded and you will guard it with the notion of expertise, the notion of I've been there for so long, or I've done that, or like this sound system doesn't sound good, or like the DJ isn't good. These things that solidifies your place within a specific identity. This is for me part of what is troubling me within dance culture. This is what happened in a weird way. All this cut-up modes of Dadaistic restructuring of a culture started to be the new artistry. The author didn't die. It should have been. So you had this notion of a DJ. I think like he also wrote about the hacker of uh, recombining the elements. The art of recombining become the new artist. And it's still, this is like for me, the problem of who is allowed to do the recombination combination and if my recombination ends up in new thing that is the art and is the art word that is 
I would say based on the notion of license. I have some of my Sonic work just under the Creative Commons Zero, so you can recombine stuff or I use stuff from lectures that then can be played and used. And I think like having this, I like it in a way that it enables me to show that I just like reconnect with different things that I read and listen to and can make different stuff within. I use also the notion of parasiting because maybe parasiting won't have this career of being a high art term that you cannot really say the new artist will be the parasite, hopefully. Let's just wait for it. But I think saying that you parasite on different cultural elements and chew it off and then produce something different doesn't have this newness. It has this lovely stink of this is like the side effect of something that might be really full to do. And I love that it can be existing on that. That's why I also like the notion of parasite and also use I am influenced by horrible stuff like Muzak within supermarkets. Tend to go and listen to it and know, oh, this is like the 12 o'clock moment of Samba to shop on more because it has this element of training people just to do specific stuff more efficiently is the master of I would say programming perception and also programming desires within gallery spaces when you have this kind of gallery experience of shop that put on specific music so the audience just comes in to listen to it This is the thing, the audience that you said. The problem would be if the audience would call themselves audience. It would be like the autopoietic movement of recognizing yourself as the listener. And then you would be like the performer of being the audience. It needs to stay empty because what hides behind the audience are like the projected effects of your actions when coming to what is the performative. perception I think like I use uh, constantly against the listening because I don't really think even the movement of listening just uses and focuses only on part of our sensorium and it's mostly the sensorium between ears not much bone conduction and not much how those things interact on the level of uh, experiencing sound and that the sound can be transmitted through different senses and also elements that are just like wave movement or like a pressure within the air can be recognized as sound. That's why I use the perception. Tried to really like open it up to show that there are really different signals elements that can be also perceived haptically, sonically, as well visually, that you exist within. Not to value listening, because even in situation when your air conduction is not functioning properly, you still have the bone conduction, and also the other senses can do the different wiring, so not be neurotypical. And the perception for me enables to really think along those terms. Also, like I started my research using old cybernetic and seeing that for me uh, there exists this connection between thinking about the system of perceiving as signals with a society systems and for me it really is this thinking about physical situation that your body is in even like within digital realm your body still like somehow connects or have different kinds of connecting to different systems that you can speak about the flows and changes within an experience. 
I usually like imagine that even uh, sitting on the classical experiment situation, so a person sitting with a laptop to speakers, you still have sitting bodies opposite in a close structure. So you have air pressure, light, and how sounds work with that, and what is sound or what is like the stimuli from the speaker can work with a body that actually is a sponge for acoustic impact. This perception structure works for me to think in those concepts. And within the noise, it was never for, for me like noise as a pure sonical entity. It was mostly thinking about noise as this element that shifts communication. In the book Parasite of Michel Serres, you have this amazing tale of city rat that takes in a village rat. The city rat welcomes the village rat for a feast, and then suddenly the host of the house enters, and you hear the noise of opening. And basically, the situation of the city rat being the host, the farm rat being the guest, shifts because of the noise. The, now the host is the host of the house, the human, and the rats are the guests feasting on the food that is part of the house. So this is my understanding of noise, and it doesn't really need to be connected with overstimulation, but like a basic shifting within the relation. That is what I was looking. I it's mostly reading of situation when your perception suddenly has this element of refocusing or reconnecting with different elements. Let's connect with your question about the discourse narration and what happens to experimental that it basically copies a philosophical language. And for me, there are those islands of speaking and culture that has its own language. There is a difference between purely academical language that is basically a currency in academia and also is to stabilize a specific group of people and make them recognize each other, especially on the level of philosophy there. It's like working within the language, also showing that the language is an element of philosophy. And I remember when I was reading about the movement of social construction of technology that most of the research were postulating the difference, shifting sort of like the way people write about this hard technological stuff. The effect of that is Bruno's Latour work, and he doesn't really use a specific hard language that uses those words that you always have to have the dictionary, but goes into this narration. I think like it was with modes of existence that he has this character of woman anthropologist that researches, and we within the book reading it follows it. So it's really classical storytelling mode of writing about science. I think Latour also had this more even structures like writing about the Paris tram structure. You create those characters just to make it approachable. And it always brings me back to this reading by Russian formalist and Vladimir's pop morphology of a fairy tale. That you have the character that has to go through through transformation, is a hero, and you have this elements of that. And I feel like it is really important and exists in different elements. This narrational tool of a character for me works within a PR system.
that you don't really buy into products now, but experiences or like object that enables you to freeze time. So you want, you will buy, I would say a Rolex just to know that it will survive everything, even underwater, even your death. So you basically come into this ownership narration of future eternity within that object and you can even pass it on but you don't really buy a product now and for me it's like still a narrational structure for me come back to this why we have this sort of copycat philosophical language of course Guattari and those uh, all the way everywhere because I feel within this situation of experimental music, it tries to find out basically a structure and a way of, I would say, push one's desire and explain it within more complex terms or like just hang into those terms of like a fault of deterioration that you feel like if you listen to it, it enables you to access thinking about how it just shifts your existence. There was always this aim of working within the realm of perception and the deepness of the mind because even in the Cold War times you had like Alvin Lucier connected to EEG and researching alpha brain waves and trying to show how you can work with that or like speaking with plants all the things that you have Steve Goodman's book Sonic Warfare basically connecting in this He has this amazing paranoid shim of technology. When you have these authors like William Burroughs and Steve Goodman's, there is this paranoia of male that is attacked or like surveilled from every corner, which becomes triggers this need of being the master of your existence and being able to name all the things that are influencing you or can just stimulate or can control you. This is really interesting that still like the notion of freedom only exists in white cis male world. I don't think anywhere else someone uses this term or like is able to really construct it as something stable. It's all for this structuring, the notion of freedom, structuring of expertise about your own mind and functioning. This language offers to be expertise, to be knowledgeable. If you find the right word to name something, you can take the ownership of it. Ursula Le Guin, the teenage series about the young wizard Get, who had to learn the real names of all the objects around to be owning them. For me, it connects with that kind of narration and explanation what is really the use of this highly specific language that offers to explain the essence of something, explain and be so specific that it just captures the thing that it names. one word of Avital Ronel I really like a short sentence so it's not a fancy thing to say when you're pegged as a woman and I think like this element of pegged as something is this thing about the language that puts you in a category I sometimes feel that if you are pegged into those categories as queer artist and other artists are put there it's basically putting so many people that that it might sort of create this structure that 
create this Hunger Games situation that you feel like you have to show the uniqueness of your uniqueness when you're in this broad category of being something else. And if it's your only way of marketing, it puts you in this situation that sometimes you attack other people that are in the category and you feel you are compared amongst them. Because this is all about those categories. If you put so many people as experimental, you just like put them there to compare to each other. And it's also like when you call yourself as that, you just like put yourself in a category that you have people you want to be compared with. If I called myself post club, I will be compared to other post club. Or if I call myself ambient, I will be compared to ambient. That's why I sometimes use categories that other people wouldn't be used. Also, like I had this experience of label manager that I released on that did this compilation and called the half of it is noise, the half of it is post club. And he said that I'm the post club part. And I was like, I didn't know about that. I felt like that was the noise. In a way, I just love the fact that I perceive myself in different categories that other people perceived in. And I also love sort of like the misconception of yourself that puts you in a different train track of what you're doing. I just like feel that all this specific naming is about containing people and also like comparing that creates this feeling that we have to fight with each other or go into the race of most prolific causes or that we should support something we need to address. there has been so many names I was named in the reviews doing work for theater like lately it has been composer and the composer element is within the structure of Polish theater this is the thing that defines your salary if you are a composer you are producing original score and you are paid more than you would call yourself a DJ so sometimes those naming structures those tags really define yeah the structure of financing the structure of access i think like also when you said about the queerness there is this element of trying to get an access to something like using the name of going for like it's trying to access i think it is important part of identity but also there is the structure of checking or like actualizing if the name still stinks or like if someone recognizes you as part of this world and I think because representations of queer are like the meaning of the queer uh, stopped being the one that I know which is run away from categories as fast as you can into this body identity representation as well like specific sexual history and relationship making that queers started to be this category, a term. It's like what happened to the word camp and the queer uh, as well does the same, that it's stabilized and become a specific thing rather than way of perceiving things. that you're speaking about it's connected with the notion of Levi-Strauss structure of language if you have something name it's basically name as something through negation of other stuff this is notion that you cannot really queer as the name of specific is just constructed as against something as not something else which it's the structure of language. Connecting it to a like, community situation, it's always to be recognized, but in a way, it's also thing that puts you forth. This is for me the political aspect. If I use the specific uh, name, it just puts me forth in a society. 
this choice of what are the consequences in specific space when you use the word. about the thing that is name or you are within that thing it gives you this calmness of knowing oh this is how it works this is a dyslexia element of your life and this explains a lot actually for me explained why I shift letters within the sentence or why I had to really had to had develop a different kind of remembering because for me remember sequences or like remembering alphabet was such a struggle so I only learned alphabet through putting books in the shelf and having to go on and repeat what is after A and B. And it was when I was like much older. So these sequential structures that are like based in the language were always something that I needed to hack my way into. Like mostly like hack by connecting it to movement or spatial element. I didn't really remember what people would say or even names or anything, but I would remember people by gestures what were connected. It's always this starting point that you feel like it's overwhelming or you don't, everything is a mess, but then something helps within your perceiving structure to overcome and it's like different rerouting of your perception. For me, dyslexia is always was this thing that I wouldn't trust my perception so much because stuff that I would remember would be in different places that I would remember it would me searching for a car on a parking lot it never like worked because uh, i would remember it would be in different place that it actually would Although I had super hard time learning to read than learning to write, like still my handwriting is just like horrible, I would go for writing. I had so much struggle with it. I learned orthography using orthography when I was like 14. It took me so many years to like being able to remember what is writing how. The interpunction still doesn't exist in my world of language. Still the grammatical structures are questionable, which sometimes gives weird anecdotes because I would have my teacher from creative writing read my papers and would just sit and it's so amazing. It's like textbook dyslexia. She was so amazed that she would get this specimen of a person that she read in books about being dyslectic, which was, oh, good for you. It's like feeling like being on a savannah sometimes when people are just amazed. connection with the music this is the weirdest part after years and years of learning to write and writing i shifted into music and suddenly the notion of having a sequence after sequence didn't exist having all things together at the same time were just apparently part of the sound and it was funny because i should have maybe thought about it earlier but still managing and writing was something that didn't make the whole process of what I was struggling with as this evil demon. 
learning to overcome. I wouldn't say overcome, just like creating the structure and habits that always were firstly really tiring to do because it always felt as so much work to be appearing normal. That started to be a habit and with years it stopped being so hard to have this maintenance system to appear on the normal, being able to be readable. It's always constant practicing. At the same time, it's just sometimes interesting that the dyslexia can be thematized. There is like this magazine Inflections by the Erin Manning uh, Sense Lab created that had at some point this shifting, like the whole page would turn into how a dyslexic would read the page. It's sometimes interesting the experience of that, that someone can emulate this experience. At the same time, you're dealing with the language, it's always dealing with the foreign object creates this element of a distance that you understand oh there are like structures so you don't really take for granted speaking or writing and how it connects this is something that really builds a different perception or like suspicion towards a language that was for me always present Promise No Promises is a podcast series produced by the Women's Center for Excellence, a research project of the Art Institute FHNW Academy of Art and Design in Basel, conceived as a think tank tasked to assess, develop and propose new social languages and methods to understand the role of women in the arts, culture, science and technology, as well as in all knowledge areas that are interconnected with the field of culture today. If you're interested to get more information about further podcasts and events related to this project, please visit dertank.ch, that's dertank.ch, or subscribe to our new or subscribe to our newsletter at info.kunst.hdk@fhnw.ch. That's info.kunst.hdk@fhnw.ch. Recording and editing, Sonia Fernandez-Pan. Final editing and voiceover, Elena Cesar. Music, Stephen McAvoy. Research team, Alice Wilke and Marion Ritzmann. Press and communication, Anna Franke. Technical support by Esther Hunziger, Stephen Schoch, Konrad Siegel and Chris Handberg. Copyright by Institut Kunst, HGK, FHNW, 2021.